Welcome to another episode of the Zenpreneur Podcast, the show for entrepreneurs who want more money and less stress. The Zenpreneur Podcast is hosted by serial entrepreneur and high-performance coach Mario Lanzarotti. Listen as Mario and his inspiring guests share the insights, strategies, and habits that allow you to grow your business with peace of mind so you can enjoy more wealth and freedom. Learn how to build the mindset and habits you need to find the balance between a successful business and a thriving personal life. And now, here is your host, Mario Lanzarotti. Hello and welcome, my friends. This is your host, Mario Lanzarotti, the Zenpreneur. I'm excited for another powerful and very insightful episode with my new guest, Jacqueline, she is coming from a diverse and highly accomplished MBA-level executive background with a successful track record in global leadership as a strategist, marketer, operator. And before founding Wellium, which we're going to talk about now in just a moment, she built and scaled businesses across multiple verticals with an emphasis on the health and wellness space. Data-driven and analytical with a comprehensive business acumen, Jacqueline has unparalleled marketing expertise and an incentive ability to drive profitable growth in the emerging wellness vertical. I'm super excited because this is a conversation that is so relevant to where the world is at at the moment. Jacqueline, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. That bio makes me sound really good, huh? <laughs> it does. It does. And without a doubt, you are very good at what you do. And I would love to ask you the questions just so we can set the framework. What is Wellium? What, what is the purpose of that? And what inspired you to start the company? Wellium's entire mis mission is to bring Eastern medicine to the modern world. Western world, essentially, we um, we think that there's been a lack of adoption, mainly because of poor information, poor marketing on the on the behalf of Eastern medicine in general. You know, whenever you're dealing with a foreign concept, it's already hard enough to understand and grasp. But you add in language barriers and aesthetic differences, and it gets mm. really difficult. So our entire goal is to help break it down for Westerners so that more people can learn and use and benefit from Eastern medicine in the West. Hmm. So what is the, the difference? Right? Because I've heard these terms a lot of times. I myself have engaged in Eastern medicine practices, but on a high level, where would you say is the difference between Eastern and Western medicine? You know, it's interesting because we think about Eastern medicine nowadays as, um, you know, newfangled or modern in, in the Western world, um, as we sort of shift into these more holistic, comprehensive, functional health, integrated health types of philosophies. And really, that's what Eastern medicine is. It's, it's been around for thousands of years, and it's, its entire focus is on the actual person. So where Western medicine seems to follow a disease or a diagnosis and provide you either a treatment or a band-aid for that. Eastern medicine is really all about preventative health, ongoing care and maintenance, and making sure that you're comprehensively addressing how you're feeling. So that's everything from your diet to your environment, your stress, your sleep, um, custom formulas for where you are right now. Um, and 
and it's really a personalized care that's far more comprehensive than mm. than Western medicine is currently. Mm. So if I hear you correctly, let's say I have an ache in my elbow. If I was to go to a Western medicine practitioner, a regular MD, yeah. and I would say, doctor, I'm having pain here, he would probably look at the arm, maybe touch a few points in the arm, say, this is hurt. How much does it hurt? So, okay, here's a cream for that, for the swelling, uh, potentially gives me a, a pill for inflammation, says take it for two weeks and then see how things happen. If nothing changes, come back to me. An Eastern practitioner would do something a little bit differently, right? You know, it's interesting because really Eastern medicine practitioners are with you through the entirety of your life. And so a lot of Westerners are entering Eastern medicine for an acute condition or sometimes even a chronic condition that they can't get treated through um, Western medicine well. But let's say hypothetically you go to an Eastern medicine with a, an ache in your elbow. Um, yeah you're probably going to get a much more comprehensive review. So Eastern medicine isn't going to just treat the elbow. They're going to say, well, while you're there, let's look at everything that's going on. Mm -hmm. um, and so you'll still probably get something for the acuteness of it. Um, it'll be delivered in a different way. So there are custom salves made from, um, you know, different natural products that are used for pain. Um, you know, one of the more commonly well-known that's now available in Target is something called Tiger Balm, which is great ah, for pain, yes. something like that. But there are custom versions of that that practitioners will make. They will also probably give you another formula for inflammation and talk to you about your diet and what you're eating. And, um, and then they'll say, okay, well, once you get this pain underway, why don't you come back in two weeks? Let's see how you're feeling and let's get you on a better cadence. And then that's when they'll talk to you about everything from your sleep to your environment to, you know, your entire body. They'll do things like check your pulse and look at your tongue, which are slightly out of the norm for, um, for Western medicine. Um, but really they're looking for any underlying discrepancies in, in patterns or behaviors within your body that they can adjust to sort of balance and regulate over time. Mm, that makes a lot of sense. And it reminds me of, the way that I like to do business, right? I run a company called Six Figure Zen and say someone comes to me and says, I have, I'm experiencing stagnancy in my revenue, right? I'm hitting the 10K mark, but it's not crossing that for whatever reason, I'm doing all the right things. Then I would also look at, you know, what's the feeling that's coming up with you not being able to grow the business? And then the person might say, well, there's a lot of frustration. There's a sense of shame. And then I would look at, well, where else does this frustration and shame show up in your life? And say, oh, you know, recently with my partner, I've experienced it in this situation, that situation. So, oh, that's interesting. So then we go in the, that into that relationship and we resolve where, where it resides. And all of a sudden, revenue starts going up. And yeah. that to me sounds very much like Eastern medicine. Yeah, it's it's a much more holistic, comprehensive way of thinking about things because, you know, in the West, we're used to take a pill, fix it, go away, or right. I have a problem, how do I fix this one problem? And then my life gets, you know, infinitely better in some way, shape or form. And realistically, it should be far more about the journey, which I know then I start sounding um, like the hippie that I actually am. <laughs> and, um, but really, it's, it's about taking a look at your life in totality and saying, well, 
why do I want this? And how does it benefit me? How does it impact me? Um, mm. and, and a lot of Eastern medicine goes into everything from your personal relationships, your work. Uh, it, it'd be silly to think that if you were having a crazy high paced job um, that was super stressful, that eventually it wouldn't impact things like hair loss or um, brittle fingernails or all these other sort of like little details that an Eastern medicine practitioner would look at one way or the other saying, oh, is this person too stressed at work or what's going on with them? Yeah, I really love that approach because I think it's so all encompassing. It's, you know, you, as we said earlier, you go to the doctor for some, for remedy to your pain in, uh, that you're experiencing in the elbow, but you come out with, when it's the Eastern practitioner with a, with a whole different view on what's possible for yourself and for your life. And before we dive a little bit deeper, I do want to understand what does some someone like you cause to even go onto this path, right? I understand right now you're living in New York. Right? So how, how long have you been living in New York? Are you like the typical New Yorker? Because uh, I live in New York, so I know the New York lifestyle is very far away from the Eastern medicine uh, philosophy. So I'm curious to hear a little bit about your story. You know, it's funny. Um, I did not grow up in the city. I grew up in the South. And um, in, a, in a way, I'm both, you know, part still Southern and, and part still New Yorker. And it's interesting where those division lines draw. Um, I've been in the city now for eight years full time and was commuting for several years before that. And I had always been involved in the, let's call it, alt health um, lifestyle space, both personally and professionally. So I've been doing yoga now for about 20 years. And I think one of the things that happens is a lot of people like myself who have busy lives and crazy lifestyles go to yoga to get a workout and, and sort of burn off some mm. of the energy. And then little by little over time, you realize that the, the non-physical pieces start to sink into your brain and um, you know, I remember early on in my in my yoga studies, we would be in a very tough position and the instructor would say something like, aren't we all so lucky to be here right now? And I thought this lady is crazy, you know, and then fast forward 10 years later and I, I'm in a very tough position holding it and thinking, oh, man, I'm, I'm so lucky right now to um, be be here and that my body's healthy enough to, to do this every day. And I think over time, um, the more that I became aware of it, the more I investigated further. Personally, I was diagnosed with lupus many, many years ago, and I was pretty far into the, the journey that I've been on for quite some time now. So I already had a good enough understanding of what options outside of Western medicine were available, but I didn't start to comprehensively and wholly delve into it until I was sick and wasn't getting relief from Eastern Med or from Western medicine. So I went and found a practitioner that I liked and I started essentially biohacking myself, combining the best of Western medicine, the best of Eastern medicine. And in the end, I've been in remission now for many, many years, which is pretty unheard of for those with lupus. And I thought, how many other people are dealing with the same type of issue, some sort of chronic condition where their life is negatively impacted on a daily or weekly basis. And they're just taking steroids or pain pills or whatever their version of it is when they could have another option that might work better for them. And so for me personally, um, 
when when we started talking about building something in Eastern medicine, myself and my and my partners, thinking this is this is something that's going to happen, and we want to be the ones to help bring it into the West and do it well with you know quality credentialing and resources that people can understand and products that you would give your children and um, and so William was born. Hmm. It's fascinating to see how you, like many others, come from a background of deep pain, like suffering, where you've tried, it seems like you've tried the conventional ways and you got frustrated with that. And there was a sense of disappointment and desperation, and yet you found a new way. And I can relate to that because I remember once I went to, I was living in New York and Twice in a row, I had, and I'm missing the English term for that. I looked it up once, and there really isn't a word for that. In German, you call it a Hexenschuss, which means that there's this sudden bolt of pain in your back, and your back is sort of stuck in one position. Mm. And my back was hunched forward quite severely, and I was crawling in my apartment. I could not stand up. I had to crawl on the floor for like four days. And so... I went to a doctor and naturally the thing they described me was heavy pain meds. They helped yeah. a little bit, but I was drowsy. I couldn't do anything. I was sleepy. And so then I reached out to my shaman that I'd done ayahuasca with uh, years ago. And he recommended me to a practitioner in uh, Upper West Side in New York. And this was a, an acupuncturist um, yeah. who would do uh, physical therapy and I went to him and I was in severe pain and he would put these uh, needles in my back and he had a machine, a frequency device from Russia that would create different frequencies in these needles. And this coming from me, for those that don't know, I'm a very skeptical person. I've done a lot of this work in Eastern medicine, but yet to this day, there's still a part of me that goes, yeah, come on, really? So I check and check and check. And I had one session with him and it was, well, after one session, 80% of the pain was gone. And I was like, this, yeah. this is unreal. And then what he did, and this is what you said earlier, he drew, he, he asked me, can I draw your aura? And I was like, uh, sure. But again, very skeptical. What do you mean? And he drew my en energetic field. And then he showed me the picture and I could barely read it because his handwriting was so bad. But he, he noticed around my heart, there was an opening and he said, your heart energy is leaking. And at the time, I didn't understand what that meant. I was like, what do you mean? I'm living plant-based, mostly whole food plant-based. I'm working out like five times a week. I meditate twice a day. I've done so much inner work. What do you, I was like kind of offended. I was like, what do you mean? Right. And then he said, if you do not take care of your heart, you're going to have a, a very high chance of heart problems and heart disease when you get into your forties. And I was shocked. And I couldn't make any sense of it. Later on, I went to, uh, I, I did other uh, ayahuasca ceremonies and the shaman told me that I carry a lot of sadness in my heart. And again, mm -hmm. I was upset. I was like, what do you mean? I'm a happy person. I'm living my passion, right? Blah, blah, blah. Don't you say that to me. And then I, was, I started dwelling on that. And I was like, oh, wow, that's actually true. And I, and, I, and I noticed that there was a whole well of sadness inside of me that I'd never tapped into. And, and I did through the ceremony, and it was like somebody opened the floodgates. 
I was crying for hours and hours and hours and it felt like generations of sadness coming out of me. And yeah. I felt so light and so many things cleared up. So that was one thing that came out that I think is just amazing. And I felt a call to share that right now. It's interesting because, you know, Eastern medicine has been around for a really long time. And when we think about the why of things, you know, as Westerners, we're always like, well, why does that work? Or tell me how we have this mm. extra step where we want to know the answers to it. And in Eastern medicine, everyone only cares about if you feel better. And so for ah. all these years, um, people have been providing relief for people and saying, okay, you felt bad. We're going to do this. Now you feel better. Great. And let's keep on that path. It's sort of about maintaining balance, not figuring out why it worked. And so what's happening now, as people start to really think about it in the West, they're saying, well, why is that? And it's this interesting thing that's happening where we're bridging together the sort of science and art and filling in those gaps of things we feel. It's very similar to where, you know, if you meet someone and you just know that they have bad energy or vice versa, have good energy. Yes. And it's something that you just feel innately. And you and, and yes. so if you say that to someone who isn't in touch with those sorts of things, they think you're very woo-woo or, you know, something of the sort. But now there's been a ton of research that's gone into trying to figure out scientifically why we feel that way. And there's a woman in New York named Jill Blakeway who has a, a, a wonderful book called Energy Medicine. If, if you haven't read it, it's, it's, a, it's a great recommendation. Um, but she essentially had what she felt was a gift at helping people who were infertile become pregnant. And she was a, a scientifically minded, you know, acupuncturist and practitioner of Eastern medicine and wanted to figure out why those things were. And she's undergone this massive research product, a project and partnered with lots of reputable schools and colleges to try to identify why these things happen. You know, why do I feel the energy? Oh, well, actually, we all have, you know, vibrations and those are sensible to other people around us. And you don't necessarily know why, but, um, you know, kind of going to your thing as, as you start to tap into those those other things outside of the realm of what we know to be tangibly true practitioners yeah. who have been doing that all day can sense things a lot better and can pull pieces together from just looking at you or listening to you that you wouldn't otherwise know. Mm. That's okay. This is bringing up a lot of really cool <laughs> ideas in my mind. And, and from what you said earlier, I really love what you said. You said in Eastern medicine, it's more important to understand that, that something works, it's making you feel better, not necessarily why it works. And yeah. I feel this is bringing up a, another topic in me. This is like the masculine and the feminine energies. Mm -hmm. And this is so fitting because as you were speaking, my mind was rolling through pictures of all the times when important women in my life, my mother, my ex-girlfriend, my now wife-to-be have told me about people. I said, be careful with this person. I was like, ah, whatever. They're a great person. I, I, you don't know what you're talking about. And then I was slapped in the face. I was like, you're right. I'm sorry. I should have listened. And I, from what I understand, this is this feminine superpower, which men also have access to, uh, but women are much more connected to is intuition. And it's not so much about this, this conceptual, structural way of thinking of like one plus one is two, is like there's a whole 
non-linear way of connection with things where you intuitively know that something is good for you or something isn't good for you. And I'd love for you to speak a little bit on that because I think this is emerging, bringing up a whole paradigm shift all over the world in business at the moment. You know, it's interesting because women often far outperform men in the in the workplace. If you look at, you know, Fortune 500 CEOs, females mm. always outperform males. And um, and yet there's it's sort of something that falls under the radar. And you have to say, why is that? And of course, there's there's differences and discrepancies and it depends on who you ask. But I myself have felt for a long time I have a better intuition than most. And I thought oh, is it a gut thing? And so I started doing some research into it myself. And I, I can't remember the book that I read that was talking about this. But essentially what they were saying is that the more aware you are of certain things, those sort of intangible things, and particularly if your mind is overactive, if you're ADHD, if you're an empath, if you're um, on the spectrum of some sort, your, your brain is processing more pieces of information. Yeah. And a lot of the times what we consider gut or intuition you know, is actually just the fact that our brains have processed more information and picked up minor details on behavior patterns or speech recognition or something small that someone says that wouldn't necessarily register to you, but to someone who's either had experience with it or just for whatever reason, their brain processes and stores that information is going to be far more receptive to it quickly. Um, now, I don't know where the division lies between you know, what is truly gut and what is just very quick processing of information. But it has come in in handy for me over the years, um, particularly as I've gotten further along in my career. I have um, really prioritized working with people that I think are good humans. And people laugh at me for using the word humans all the time um, instead of people or person or something like this. But I think it challenges us to think about people as humans. People become sort of generic and um, like a replaceable noun for any sort of concept or you know scenario that you're using. Whereas if you think about us as being humans, human beings, creatures, then it, it challenges us to think about that whole range of emotions and personality types and you know energies and vibrate, all these things that we sort yeah. of um, take for granted or don't really process when we think, oh, that person. Um, when you when you pull in the human element, I think it, it makes you think about things more. And as I've gotten further along in my career, I don't want to work with people I don't like. Um, I like almost everyone. So if I don't like someone, there's probably a reason why. And, um, and usually whatever that gut instinct is to say, mm, something is off here, turns out to be right. I had a... Um, a, you know, a good, good friend and a, someone I used to work with in business many, many years ago. And we met a guy once and I said, I don't know, I just do not like him. And uh, this friend and coworker said, why? And I said, I don't know why. And I know that sounds judgmental in some way, but I, I'm just telling you, he has very bad energy. And, um, you know, he thought I was off my rocker. And one night, curiosity got the best of me because I had such a strong gut feeling about it. And I went to Google him and found out that he'd been sued by his past two business partners and he had, you know, four oh, DUIs and, you yeah. know, he'd been cheating on his wife and just every version wow. of um, yucky that you, you could think of. Um, so 
you know, you just have to watch for those things and, and let your gut guide you. If for no other reason than your time is too precious to spend it with people that don't positively impact you. This, this is this is so important and I'm, I'm glad that you're speaking about this because naturally both of us were running conscious businesses and I feel m many businesses that you would go uh, to with this conversation, they would close the door and you say, you're nuts, right? This is stupid. Uh, this is not backed, backed by science. This is not factual, right? But if you listen to people's stories just like ours here, it's just again and again and again and again and again it keeps happening and i'm at a point now where my i refer to it as intuition is has been refined very much through this work that i've done especially the work on the feminine side of me which is all about feeling my emotions which was the hardest thing to do in my life just to feel my feelings because i'm very much a head-centered person and tapping into emotions was yeah was just was just absolutely terrifying yet now and I, I get to speak to a lot of new people all over the world on a daily basis my intuition is at the level where i know exactly if there's something inside of me and the other person that makes me want to connect further or not and i used to beat myself up for that for a long time because of this societal conditioning it's like you have to like everybody you have to be nice and kind to everybody it's like yeah being kind to everybody is i can i can be with that but i don't have to like everybody i don't yeah. I, I not everybody likes me i'm sure there's people that that you know don't like me at all and that's fine you know <laughs> um but the word that comes up is discernment discernment versus judgment discernment is saying this person isn't right for me I don't know if the person is wrong. I can't say that. That's not for me to say, right? But I can say it's not right for me. And as once I started taking that on, I start. I, I also dropped the guilt. And I was yeah. like, no, it's just not, I don't feel the connection. I'm sorry. I'm not even sorry. I don't feel the connection and that's it. And I can move on. And I think there's a lot of room to play for people to learn from and to, to use that sense in business I mean, just imagine for the hiring process. Are you using that sort of sixth sense for your hiring process now? It's one of those things that I don't even think you would be aware that you're doing sometimes, even even if you are meditating and introspective and you take the time to you know do the work like you have. Sometimes the things become so ingrained in you that you don't even realize you're using them. Um, yeah. I will say that I actually have to challenge myself to not be so clinical, um, not so much in recent years, but in, in hiring in particular, I remember having to have a few very stern talks with myself um, about, in this case, it was judgments where, you know, I'd be looking at someone and, you know, making interpretations off of uh, their appearance, um, not necessarily you know, oh, like very pretty, you know, it was almost like a subconscious thing. And this was years ago, but yeah. I remember once thinking and getting mad at myself for, um, oh, that person's very attractive. What's the likelihood that they're as smart as I need them to be for this job? Because usually those two traits mm. don't correlate in the same human, you know, and then I kind of got upset <laughs> with myself and I thought, what are you doing? Um, you can't, you can't make judgment calls like yeah. this about people. And so I think what you said about the refinement is so important because we're all human and it should 
be a journey of evolution and growth and figuring out those things that work or don't work for you in particular or for your company in particular. You know, it's yeah. it's your employees, it's your advisors, it's your board, it's your customers, it's all of it together has to work almost flawlessly in order for the business to continue to grow and thrive. And yeah. figuring out that pathway almost never happens instantly. Um, you know, I've made bad hires where short ways in, I think, oh no, this is not going well. Um, I gotta, I have to make a, a change here. And, you know, hmm, what, what did I do that I, I, what did I miss? What could I do better the next time? And, and so I, I think you get better with it over time. Um, it is slightly harder as a female. Um, I, I think that inevitably a woman in power who is running a company or has some sort of position of power, anytime that we say things with authority, the interpretation can come off as, I don't have a PC way, but it can come off as bitchy. Um, and you know, there's a very fine line between saying, how do I want to say this without being construed as bitchy, knowing mm -hmm. that I'm not being bitchy, I'm just the boss and in charge and saying what needs to be done, but being cognizant of those bias that happen inevitably that we're all guilty of, including myself with resumes, yeah. apparently. So yeah. it's a balance. Yeah. This brings up another topic that I want to talk to you about, and that is women in business, right? You... I have no idea what it's like to be uh, a woman in business uh, as much as I want to try and, you know, put myself in the shoes of it. I, I just can't because I'm a man. So I'm just curious, how do you see the current landscape for female entrepreneurs, you being uh, a stellar example of that? And how would you, what would you say to a woman who is in business and, and wants to, wants to level up? Oh, that I have so many thoughts about that, and I'm trying to figure out which are are uh, appropriate for this for this medium. You don't um, have to filter yourself here with me. Uh, you can let it out. You know, there's some things that are human nature, right? Um, if you're a female that happens to be marginally attractive, um, you are going to get hit on um, in the workplace by subordinates, by board members, by whomever, and um, you almost have to have an extreme diligence and and be completely aware that even in the best of outcomes, um, you, the women usually don't fare so well in those situations. And mm. so I would say just number one is to, to keep your rigor and make sure that you are 100% clear with everyone around you because people will hit on you. They will be inappropriate. It will yeah. make things complicated. Um, and I'm sure men have to deal with some of that as well. Um, but I don't know a single female in business who hasn't had a personal interaction that she was really struggling to figure out how do I deal with this? How do I, how do I say no politely without, you know, jeopardizing the business relationship or something of the like. So it's a little tricky of a situation and, um, you know, you just have to figure out how to navigate that best for yourself in each of those entities. But it is a complexity that I wish was avoidable. <laughs> It'd be just much easier if you could avoid those things. Um, I know one woman who creates a fake secretary for herself. She doesn't have an assistant, but she runs those sorts of things through her, her fake assistant who then just very 
boldly says, oh, so-and-so is unavailable. Um, um, Appreciate the interest. I mean, it gets very clinical. (laughs) I want to narrow it down on this because, you know, I'm a man and I understand that I understand why men do that. I used to do it a lot more. Um, and it's a big topic and there's a part of us that is just human nature. And so evolution as men, we are procreators, we are hunters and gatherers. That's just, and I think it's difficult for women to even understand that, like the, the sexual drive that men have. However, that's not to be an excuse. And oh, well, that's just my biology. I'm sorry. I can't help it. No, 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 no. You have a responsibility to create a greater sense of awareness and to understand there's a part of me that just wants to be with every attractive woman that comes into my field, <laughs> but that's my biology. That's not how I am defined to be in life. And I feel a lot of men just say, oh, that's just how it is. And that's a lame excuse. And, and on another side, I feel, and I'm happy to be wrong with this, but that's my personal perspective that we as men, we have a responsibility to protect women. When I see a man making an appropriate comment about a woman or doing something that makes the woman clearly uncomfortable, I will step the fuck in and I will let the man know. And I will do it in a, in a kind and in an in a affirmative way and say, brother, that's not right. And I will have a conversation with that person. Right? But that took me a decade of inner work. I was not raised that way. I was raised by my mother who, who told me, said, Mario, whoever you are with, whatever lady you are with in your life, make sure that she feels like the most respected woman you have ever been with. And I've done my best to honor that principle. And, I'm, and I've disappointed women and I've cheated and I've been an, an asshole clearly because I didn't know better at the time and I learned from it. And at the same time, maybe we also need a sense of understand understanding from women saying, yeah, that is difficult for some men to, to just switch it off, right? Because it's part of our nature. So I feel open conversations is what is required. If we go into this sort of like, fuck all men, men are toxic, men, yeah. we're just going to create more of the same thing. And then what do we have? More angry men that will have more of that behavior more defensive women that feel terrified of men that are going to walk around. Oh my God, the next guy is going to jump, jump on me. And that doesn't create a conscious collaborative environment for us to thrive in. Yeah. I mean, I think women are used to being hit on. Cause like you said, you know, men, it's just in the nature and any woman anywhere is probably getting hit on at least once in her daily life. I would speculate to say. Yeah. Um, and so there's a, there's a wide range of, okay. And then there's a pretty defined range of not okay. And like you said, of course, if there are diminishing comments or, you know, things like that, the, the, the more difficult piece is actually the persistent. Those who are persistent, usually coming from a place of power above you um, mm. that are persistent. And um, those are the very complex ones. When someone is ranked higher than you and they are, adamant about wanting to have a relationship with you or something of the sort. Um, And everyone I know has experienced something like that. That's the really tough position to be in because how do you say no without jeopardizing your, you know, your position or um, even if you were interested, how do you do that and then not end up with the short stick in the end of the situation? Um, And so, you know, aside from just the pleasant, hey, 
you know, cute skirt or beautiful eyes comments. Mm. Um, those are the really, really tough ones that I think women have to remain steadfast and uh, not yeah. get distracted in the process. Yeah. Would you also, one of the ways I always like to look at life is like when I hear a situation like that, I'm like, and maybe that's a very simplistic way of looking at them. I'm like, okay, you know what? Then let's get the fuck out of this work environment and let's build our own company and build something way better so that they look, huh, I wish I wasn't treating this person like that. Now I lost one of my key talents and look, now she's created something way bigger where we're yeah. no longer needed. Yeah, I mean, if you think about historically, I think the woman who started Bumble was exiled from Tinder after having a relationship and getting the short end. And so, um, you know, there there are tons of stories, and and if especially if you add an element of heartbreak into that, you know, the most recent research shows that when you are undergoing some some version of heartbreak, the portion of the brain that's activated is the same as motivation. So that's why when you see people uh, have a breakup, they suddenly get thin or, you know, do something amazing ah. because they're super driven. So if you take a woman who's very driven, who's, you know, been vexed by a, you know, a scorned business lover, uh, that's a recipe for, you know, success, not failure, right. because she's going to say, yeah, screw you. I'm going to go and do this and have fun without me type of thing mm. that's that's so true and you know because a breakup or a broken heart as we like to uh refer to it is is equal almost equal with a death but it is essentially mm -hmm. an ego death as a part of you dies that was so attached to the relationship and i could see how that sense of pain just creates such an inner drive for somebody to say you know now what i'll show you I'll create something even bigger than that. Um, and, you know, as we're talking about high performance on that same breath, I would love to also for you to speak a little bit into Eastern medicine and high performance. Because like you said earlier, I hear this a lot, especially from male clients. Uh, ah, it's just a lot of fluff. I don't have time for this stuff. And then I go and my sort of specialty is explaining to people how Eastern medicine and the holistic approach to a human being is actually the the best way to perform over at the highest levels over long periods of time. And once they start to get it, they're like, oh, wow, you're so right. Of course, I'm going to meditate every day. Of course, I'm going yeah. to nurture uh, well-being and joy and inner peace. And so I'd love to hear your perspective on that and maybe also some of the things that you do on a regular basis to help you with it. I think there's an interesting dichotomy that happens. If you look at people who are very, very poor, they usually have the same principles um, as what the very, very rich have with regard to um, health and well-being at a core level. They mm -hmm. sleep well. They um, focus on what's right in front of them. They probably eat you know, decently, even, even in very poor populations, um, you know, they might not have a lot of variety in their diet, but they garden, they, um, they're growing stuff in their yards. If you look at all the blue zones they're you know, they have some sort of familiar focus and they're doing things with their hands. And the, the key things from those are the simplest. Don't stress, 
It's terrible for you. It's killing you from the inside out, whether or not you realize it. Even if you think you're good at stress management, the reality is you're not. When, you know, when I was sick and I thought, oh, I'm a badass, I can handle everything. And I was doing regular blood work and would look at my cortisol levels. I was shocked. I was like, oh no, I got to get this under control. Wow. Um, so getting stress, sleep, even basic things like hydration, if you do even just those th three things correct, your whole life will be massively different and your performance will go up. And they sound so simple and straightforward, but the reality is, is the majority of people do not do those. They, they, everyone's dehydrated, everyone's stressed, no one's sleeping enough. And then I think as you get to a place of, of high performance, you start paying attention more and more about where can I optimize my time or my energy or all of these things because you only have a finite amount of it. And you start to realize that if you are feeling unwell or you're taken out from being sick constantly or anything like that, you are not working and you are not being a good performer. And so you start to take into consideration your health and wellness and productivity more and more and more. And I think as people do that, they start to turn to Eastern medicine um, and say, well, how can this help me? And it becomes, even for people who are relatively healthy and they already do the water and the, you know, the sleep and the stress, it becomes about iterative improvements. And you can't do that on an aggregate basis, meaning that what works for you isn't what's going to work for someone else. You need to have hands-on care about how your body is operating and how you're functioning and where your deficits are and your imbalances are. And that's what Eastern medicine does. It helps people maintain healthy living in a way that is specific to them so that as they're growing and even, even things like changing seasons or a, a time change can impact you way more than you think. And so Eastern medicine is paying attention to those things as they're coming down the pathway or a breakup um, and saying, hey, look, we should do this ahead of time so that you're not then dealing with the consequences. It becomes mm. far more about the little things and far less about the big things. Mm. You know, as you were speaking, something started to a little bit click in my mind between the whole Eastern Western philosophy. It feels like, and, and, and I would love to hear your perspective on that, that sort of the Western philosophy is much more geared towards material success, right? Create wealth, money, um, and it, it looks like a lot of the Eastern uh, societies of the world have actually adopted that mentality. And if you look at a lot of the countries there, China, uh, and, and they're dealing with obesity which before sort of that model was even a thing there was non-existent. Most yeah. people were extremely healthy. And so now we have both of these civilizations struggling with uh, health issues massively. And, and I feel it's, it's a little bit like the extreme is you're either super successful and super sick or you're super healthy, but super poor. And it's like <laughs> sort of the extremes on both ends. And what I have, what I have created with my uh, six figures Zen is is a merger of that. Is like how can we take the best of both worlds? Because I see there's a lot of sort of demonization around everything Western. Uh, is yeah. Everything Western is bad, you know, greedy people destroying the world, right? But uh, but most of the well, not most of it, a lot of the 
the progress that we are seeing in the world today that has improved life in all kinds of ways is driven by Western sort of capitalistic uh, uh, thinking. And yet what's missing is the inner component, the fulfillment, the joy, the peace, which is coming from the East. And so how do you look at that? Because that's just really interesting. It is. It is. You know, it's funny, right? Because you, you do get all this wealth and then you you have the gluttony that's associated with money, right? Mm. Uh, money can, you know, be perverting across many, many avenues, if you think about it. But then there is a pivot point where once someone has enough money, then they start getting healthier um, for the, for, you know, for most people, they, they sort of live in the gluttony and they're going down, down, down. And then one day they have a wake up call like, oh, I want to be able to spend all this money. So let me figure out how to go back in the other direction. And that's when people start to really pay attention um, to their health and they get fit and, you know, things like that. Um, but I think there has to be conversations that occur. And the problem is, like most things politically, there are usually two sides that don't speak to one another. Mm. And there is very little middle ground in trying to translate one to the other or express how you can have both. And yeah. it, it sort of ties to what we're doing at Wellium because there's an inherent contradiction between the practitioners who provide these services that are very altruistic, want to do things for the greater good. They don't care about revenue. Um, they don't care about building a company where the business side says, well, in order to be able to provide those services to the biggest, largest amount of people, we have to be profitable in order to continue operating. And so I think there has to be that duality in give and take between, hey, how do we do things that are for the greater good and not just have that greater good be capitalistic in nature? Um, yeah. The greater good, you know, has to include everything else. So healthcare and education. And I think the biggest gap we have in the in the States is in education. And people will will fight me on this and say, oh, the West, it, you know, the U.S. is the best place. It's where dreams are made and all of that can be true. But the reality is, is if you look at the United States as a, an industrialized nation and paired against the rest of the industrialized nations, we fail in most most notable ways. So healthcare yep. and education, yep. and we're at the bottom of the industrialized list. And some of the, some of the more third world countries beat us in certain things. And so, you know, it's, it's to do one to the detriment of the other still does a disservice. And so we have to figure out better ways to have um, conversations and to find solutions. And we can't just say, well, this is the way it is. Well, maybe that's not the way it should be. So let's figure out how to do that. Mm. Yeah. This is this concept that you spoke about earlier, about holistic, right? The holistic life, the approaching, I have, a, I have a, the, the Zen circle as a tattoo to remind me about this holistic way of living life. And if we apply this concept to a nation like, like the United States, I think we could create what some people refer to as utopia, because, you know, I, I grew up in Germany and Germany from a social perspective is well ahead of the United States. But what Germany, in my opinion, is lacking is the entrepreneurial, free thinking, big picture thinking perspective. People here are very much like, you're living your way in sort of a extremely structured way, extremely safe 
But yeah. what's lacking is this sense of excitement, the sense of of wonder and awe, this 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 this, this adventurous spirit. And that's what I personally got in the US. That yeah. way of thinking and living like you can do anything you want. Yeah. And statistically, obviously, I'm one of the very, very few people that actually went that down that path and, and saw it through until where I am now. And there's still a lot more to go for me. But I feel there is, is it's not just Eastern all about, you know, just take care of your health. It's also about, you know, expand your vision. I mean, you're a visionary with what you're creating, right? Yeah. You know, I, it's funny. I hear what you say too about the difference between Germany and the States. And then I have a slightly different perspective because where I grew up was in Texas, right along the border of Mexico. And I don't know even a handful of people who made it out and did something with their lives. I know far more people who ended up in jail you know, in the cartel, uh, heavily, heavily into drugs or dead. And so we think about the U.S. as the land of opportunity. And in places like even in New York, where when COVID happened, we had to keep schools open because 25 percent of the kids would not eat without lunches provided by schools. And so while there are these pockets of places that are sort of used as the sentiment for I can do anything in the States. The reality is, is even in the, in the US, the majority of places are really, really struggling. Yeah. And we have to figure out a way to make it so that everyone has access to those opportunities. And so much of it, like you said, is a change of mind. I mean, where I grew up, it wasn't like there were people coming around talking to you about all these different things you could do and you can make a difference and you know here's all the things you can do with your life isn't it wonderful it was you know lines of cocaine in the pencil slot on a desk in high school you know so you know it's just a it's a really different world for most people and i think the the thing that happens is, is when you have foreigners who have that like inner gut then they end up in America because they think it's the land where they can make it free. But really, there's a lot of that inner gut that's driving them to go to a place where it's more accessible. Yeah. But yeah. we have to be able to facilitate more of that inner gut and more of the yeah. inner good so that together yeah. we can bring the rest of the world and the country up. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, this, uh, you bring up an interesting perspective that I'm just realizing is what the U.S. does better than any country in the world is the fabrication of ideas through media. Yeah. Because when you look at the U.S. from the outside, you think that everybody is a superhero and a Hollywood yeah. star and a multimillionaire. And the reality is, I mean, the U.S. is obviously a very big nation with a lot of people, but there's only a tiny, tiny, tiny fraction that fall under that category. However, yeah. if you that's what you're portraying, and that's only what you're seeing. And you're missing out on hundreds of millions of people that are struggling. And you, the other day I read, a, I read an article that said now that, I can't give you the exact numbers, but it was a very high percentage of six-figure earners that are now living paycheck to paycheck. I mean, can you imagine six-figure dollar earners in most countries of the world, that will give you a lifestyle that's unheard of in the US. And now in the US, you're living paycheck to paycheck. So. I think what the conversation that you and I had really is a is a is a sense in a sense also a wake up call 
for people to really, I hope at least to check in with themselves and to look at, am I living my life from a holistic perspective or am I just living in the money success bucket? Am I taking care of the way that I create success? And, you know, just yeah. like you said earlier, when you did that checkup and you're like, I realized I was telling myself, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely winning here. And then my cortisol was off the charts and you're like, yeah. oh my God. So check in with yourself, my dear friends, slow down, take a moment and look at your body, look at your mind, look at how you feel, look at your, the state of your relationships. And I, you know, and I think if you do not, I think I know if you do that, anything else that you want to create in the world will be dramatically improved through that holistic way of living your life. And I, I think that's the key thing is it's your life. And so we often get caught up in these things that we should do. And, you know, there's a couple of things that I think ring true to me personally and professionally, which is for lack of better phrasing, fuck the should. So all these things we hmm. think we should do and how we should be living our lives and, you know, well, my mom said this, or my grandmother said, or TV said this, don't do that. Do what you think you should do. What does your version of good look like? And then I think we also all need to reserve the right to change our minds. We grow, we evolve, we take new information in, we meet new people, we explore new places. And doing that in the context of your own life and saying, how can I live better? How can I be happier? How can I contribute to those around me better? Um, usually equals the best outcome. And it also tends to spread to other people. Um, if you have, if you're full of positivity and light and, and helpfulness and you spread that to others, it, it tends to, tends to be adopted by those around you. And, yeah. um, and then hopefully everyone gets it. Not, not overnight, but, but then we're all growing and, and evolving and learning and becoming better entities by ourselves and as a, yeah. as a unit as well. Yeah. And, and what you are describing is exactly the key to being able to enjoy the journey of entrepreneurship, because there yeah. are so many people out there. I used to be there for a long time that do not enjoy this journey. And that to me is just so sad because then why would you become an entrepreneur in the first place, <laughs> which is a journey that is so much harder than working for a company then just be at peace with it. It's not for you and get a job nine to five. That's great. You know, safe paycheck. But I want to thank you, Jacqueline, for your time. You've been a wonderful guest. You've really shed light on a lot of different topics. And I want to ask you, what is the best way for people to connect with you and to learn more about what you are up to in the world? And maybe is there an invitation that you have for our listeners? Our website is www.wellium.com, which is W-E-L-L-E-U-M. Um, my invitation is to, to just keep watching. Part of what we're doing on a daily basis is, is growing, acquiring, um, you know, symbiotic type companies that can help to grow the mission. So that's product companies and distribution chains. And we're, you know, looking to grow our own herbs so that we can control the quality mm. better. Um, and so comprehensively, we're looking at the market and every day we're saying, hmm, how can we make a big impact in a big way? And so 
we're growing and evolving and changing and adding services and products uh, pretty rapidly. Our, our growth plan for the next 18 months in particular is a, is a little overwhelming. So I'm going to take your advice and uh, make sure to remember to enjoy the journey as we're living in um, elective chaos. But uh, yeah, just just keep keep looking and feel free to reach out to us on any of our channels. If you have any questions or thoughts, we have a team on standby that can can help connect you with people if you need that or products um, or answer any questions you might have. Beautiful. And I want to encourage everyone to go check out William. I will be sure to add all the links in the in the uh, session notes and uh, make sure that you are investing in companies such as William that really care about uh, holistic health. They care about uh, the environment. They care about treating people fairly. Um, Jacqueline is a stellar example of female uh, entrepreneurship and what that looks like if you're aligning yourself from a powerful position. And uh, I just want to thank you for this uh, very insightful conversation. I really enjoyed it. And uh, I feel this won't be the last one. Thank you so much. And I hope you have an amazing day. <laughs> Beautiful. And thank you for tuning into the Zenpreneur podcast. And I will see you on the next episode.